0: back to Judah. The narrator shifts to Judah. And remember, Ahaziah, the son of the line of David, and the son of the line of Ahab, has been killed by Jehu. Which means now there's a vacuum there. Now we're going to find out what happened after he was killed by Jehu. When Athaliah, mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she was determined to destroy the royal line. So Jo. Jeho- Je- Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jehoram, the sister of Ahaziah, took Ahaziah's son Joash and sneaked him away from the rest of the royal descendants who were to be executed. She hid him and was his nurse in the room where the bed covers were stored. So she was hidden from Athaliah and escaped execution. He hid out with his nurse in Yahweh's temple for six years why Athalia was ruling over the land. All right, what the heck is going on? Remember, Athaliah is the daughter of Ahab. Her son is Ahaziah. Ahaziah was the one that was killed. When Athaliah learns that her son is killed, she gets enraged. Now, most likely, she's living in Judah now. She probably followed her son over... Well, she is living in Judah, sorry she is married to Jehoram, the descendant of David. So when she was hurt, Ahab, Ahab, okay, let me break this down. When Ahab took his daughter Athaliah and married her off to Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat and Judah, she would have moved to Judah. And so she is now married to the Judaite king and they have a son together by the name of Ahaziah. Jehoram eventually dies And so her son Ahaziah takes over. As the queen mother of Judah, she's still living in Judah. So her son goes and visits her brother up in the north, and he dies up there. When she learns that her brother has been violently murdered, probably on top of the same day that she lost her brother, she is enraged. And like her mother Jezebel, who had a violent kill-everybody temper, she's just like her. Now, she can't do anything in Israel because now her mother's just been violently killed by Jehu, too. And Jehu has shown very successfully that nobody can stand against him in his massacres. And she has no way of getting to Israel, and so she's in Judah. So she does the only thing she can think of, and when you're angry at your parents and you're just so angry you can't do anything, you turn on the dog or your brother and sister and you kick them, Okay. I'm not saying you all did that. I never did that. I didn't have really a dog to kick. Well, I had a dog that I loved too much to kick. And I didn't have any brothers or sisters to kick. But you know that happens at times. Okay? I did kick a hole in the wall once when I got angry. Um, so I was a little kid. Then I freaked out after that, too. Uh, and I also kicked my shoes so hard once it flew across the room and hit an oil lamp. So, um, so. So when you get angry and you're like, I can't do anything because I fear my parents too much and you just get mad and kick and then things happen. That's what she does. Okay, She gets so angry, but she can't do anything to Jehu because he's massacring the entire world right now, it seems like. So she just blows up on the descendants of Judah and begins to wipe them all out. Now the line of David is being affected by this. Elijah's lack of obedience is rippling. It's still rippling. And she's taking out her wrath. And then she makes herself queen. Which God does not allow a female to be queen, especially from the line of Ahab. And so now, things are not good at all. On top of that, she has a sister, and her sister's name is Jehosheba. Jehosheba is also her sister. She's also a descendant of Ahab. Might be a different mother, for all we know. But for whatever reason, this woman has married the high priest of Judah. Now, the Kings does not tell us that she's married to the high priest. Chronicles does. So she's married to the high priest, and his name is Jehoiada. Now, for 2 Kings... Chapter 11, verse 4, does mention that Jehoiadad is the high priest. But it doesn't mention that he's married to Jehoshiba, but Chronicles mentions that. So how in the world was a woman able to hide a boy in the temple for six years? Because her husband's the high priest. That's how she's doing it. So she, for whatever reason, does not agree with her family and their practices. And she married the high priest of Judah and seems to be more godly. We don't know how godly, but seems to be more godly. So when she sees the entire family being wiped out, and Athaliah is about ready to kill her own grandson. This shows you how blind with rage she is. She's about ready to kill her own grandson. The nurse, who is Athaliah's sister, takes Joash the last surviving royal descendant of David, and runs off and hides him. And she hides him in the one place that Athaliah can never, ever, ever look for him, inside the temple. And no matter how corrupt the priest might be, the priest will kill you if if you're unlawfully entering the temple. Now, that's a pretty miserable experience, to grow up inside of a temple for six years. But it's also better than being massacred by your grandma. Remember, if you think your family is dysfunctional, (laughs) just read the Bible. At least your family reunions is not grandma massacring you. So... Now you're going to go home and have nightmares. Sorry. In this seventh year, verse 4... Jehoiada, the high priest, summoned the officers of the units of the hundreds of the Carians and the royal bodyguard, and he met with them in Yahweh's temple. He made an agreement with them, and he made them swear an oath of allegiance to Yahweh's temple and then show them the king's son. So he brings in the Praetorian bodyguard, the high official soldiers that are responsible for protecting the king. And he says, "Do you serve Yahweh and Yahweh alone?" And They're all like, "Yeah." He's like, here's the king, the rightful descendant, the rightful king. He ordered them, this is what you must do. One third of the unit that is on duty during the Sabbath will guard the royal palace. Another third of you will be stationed at the foundation gate, and still another third of you will be stationed at the gate behind the royal guard, and you will take turns guarding the palace. The two units who are off duty on the Sabbath will guard the Yahweh's temple and protect the king. So he's basically like, nobody's getting the day off. (laughs) Those of you who are coming on duty, you're guarding the gates in and out of the city, and you're guarding entrances. Those of you who are about ready to go off duty, you're not going off duty. You're going to guard the temple specifically, and you're going to guard the king, the new king, the rightful king. Now, remember, they've been hiding this kid for six years. So Jehoiada has probably been thinking about how to do this for a long time. And the fact that it's successful shows his planning as well as the backing of Yahweh. Now, the fact that Joash is the only one that survives shows that God was protecting him and honoring his promise to the Davidic covenant and keeping the Davidic line alive. Verse 8, You must surround the king each of you must hold his weapon in his hand. Whoever approaches your marks must be killed. You must accompany the king wherever he goes. The officers of the units of a hundred did as just as Jehoiada the priest ordered. Each of them took his men. These were the, on duty during the Sabbath as well as those were off duty on the Sabbath and reported to Jehoiada the priest. The priest gave to the officers of units hundreds of King David's spears and shields that were kept in Yahweh's temple. And the royal bodyguard took their stations, each holding his weapon in his hand. They lined up in front of the south side of the temple to the north side, and they stood near the altar of the temple surrounding the king. Jehoiada led out, led out the king's son and placed him on the crown on him and the royal insignia. They proclaimed him king and poured olive oil on his head and they clasped their hands and cried out, Long live the king. Does it remind you of anybody? Solomon. Hey, you had um, Abinadab. Oh, no, sorry. Adonijah. You had Adonijah who was trying to take the throne. And behind his back of conspiracy, they're putting Solomon into power and making him king. And so Thalia is wrongfully there. And behind her back, they're putting Joash into power making him king. And everybody is celebrating. Verse 13. When Athaliah heard the royal guards shout, she joined the crowd at Yahweh's temple. And then she saw the king standing by the pillar and according to the custom. And the officers stood beside the king with their trumpets. And all the people of the land were celebrating blowing their trumpets. Athaliah tore her clothes and screamed, treason, treason. Jehoiada and the priests ordered the officers of the units of the hundreds who were in charge of the army, bring her outside of the temple to the guards. Put the sword to anyone who follows her. And the priest gave this order because he had decided he should not be executed in Yahweh's temple. They seized her and took her to the precincts of the royal palace through the horse's entrance and there she was executed. That's very swift. And notice that she went through the horse's entrance. That's a an insult to her. She has been dealt with, and she's the last threat of the family of Ahab. So the only two females that have ever been so threatening that they had to be executed were Jezebel and her daughter. Verse 17, Jehoiada then drew up a covenant between Yahweh and the king of the people, stipulating that they should be loyal to Yahweh. And all the people of the land went and demolished the temple of Baal, Now, the temple of Baal had been destroyed in Israel by Jehu, but not the one in the south of Judah. They smashed its altars and idols to bits, and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altar. And Jehoiada the priest then placed the guards at Yahweh's temple and took the officers of the units of hundreds and the Carians and the royal bodyguard and all the people of the land, and together they led the king down from Yahweh's temple. They entered the royal palace through the gate of the royal bodyguard and the king and sat down on the royal throne, and all the people of the land celebrated, for the city had rest now that they had killed Athaliah with a sword in the royal palace. Now that is very important the city had rest now that thalia was dead which means she was not a good queen and she was very unjust and violent towards many of her subjects and joash the rightful king is put back on the throne fulfilling the prophecy of god to david in second samuel chapter 7 that you will always have a descendant on the throne god is honoring his promise You're seeing things are not working out for these kings. One of the messages that the Bible is trying to make here, and it makes it over and over again, especially when we get to the prophets, God makes all kings fall eventually. It is very easy for us, and probably more so people in other parts of history, in other countries. I mean... There's a lot of corruption in our government, and they've done a lot of evil things. But it's still nowhere close and compared to most of the leaders around the world and the corruption that they've done and how they've treated their people. And these people, world history is full of many men and women who've come into power, and they have great power, and they have great fame and great wealth, and great unchecked, I can do whatever I want. And they have hurt and ruined the lives of many people. And even now, to a little bit, we get a taste of that, as we watch things falling apart a little bit and wonder, like, why? How why is it that that person becomes a celebrity and they become famous and they're able to have all this stuff and all they do is ruin lives? They've made their money and their fame off of ruining lives. And then more so in other countries when your government is corrupt. Okay? When you're walking through Mexico and my friends who live in Mexico say, when you see the government and the cops on the so- one side of the street and you see the gangsters on the other side of the street, you stay in the middle. Okay? There is no difference between the two. You wonder, like, this isn't right, God. Their power, their fame, their wealth. And what God is showing is that all these people eventually fall. God will deal with them. And it's hard to see that when you're in that situation, living day after day after day after day after day under that oppression. And it's even maybe hard to see when it's just replaced by another oppressive leader. But what God is showing here as he's going very quickly, it's one thing to be day after day after day. It's another thing to read this book in like a matter of a couple of hours. And you see king after king after king after king fall and fall and fall according to the word of Yahweh, according to the word of Yahweh. And it becomes a reminder to you that God will deal with these people. God will deal with these people. And yes, they might be replaced by another one, but this is where the message of the prophets gets really cool. And we're not there yet. We're getting there in January. But the prophets are going to show this long string, okay, of falling after falling. And every single time that God comes in and says, the Assyrians are coming, and they're going to destroy you, you're like, yeah, but why, God, the Assyrians? Don't worry, the Babylonians are going to come and do it to them. Yeah, God, but why the Babylonians? Don't worry, the Persians are going to come and do it to them. Yeah, God, but why the Persians? Don't worry, the Greeks are going to come. You're like, how long is this going to go on? And then it always ends with, And it will be a day that I will send my anointed king, and he will defeat all the nations. And he will bring my people back to the land. And I will reestablish the land. And I will remove all evil in the world. And all the world will become like a garden. And people from all the nations will flock and stream into the new city of Jerusalem. And there they will worship and celebrate me and my king. And there will be peace forever. And on that day I will destroy chaos and the Leviathan. And when you start putting all together, this long chain of kings falling is just a taste of the bigger thing that is coming. And God wants to see that. And every single time, and here's the other thing: there's nothing wrong with celebrating the fall of evil people. I don't think it's OK to celebrate the horrible, evil things that might be done to them and the way that they're treated, but there's nothing wrong with celebrating the fall of unjust people. And you're going to see that in the prophets. You're going to see that in the prophets. There is something wrong with celebrating the way that they're treated, but there's nothing wrong with celebrating the fact that they no longer have power over people and to oppress them. And there's a long string of this. And what God is showing is it does pay to be righteous. Yes, there is oppression. Yes, there are things that you're like, this isn't right. And my life kind of sucks because of this person. But at the same time, you're not being violently massacred in a political coup. Your own friends are your own generals are not turning on you and stabbing you in the back. And even if there have been times that you have been betrayed or there have been times that people in your life have been unjustly massacred or oppressed or killed in a wrongful way, the difference is that when God sees the massacre of these unrighteous kings, he says, that is just. But when the righteous suffer, God says, And the blood cries out to me, and I will avenge it. And this is the contrast that you need to see here. Over and over and over again, men of power, women of power will fall. And God will cry, justice. And whatever they have done to you as the nabas and the innocent, God will say, your blood cries out to me, and I will avenge it. And one of the coolest scenes in the book of Revelation, one of, there are many cool scenes, one of the coolest scenes is when the martyrs are standing at the altar of God in heaven and say, how much longer will we have justice? And God says, just wait a little bit longer until your numbers are right. And then later in Revelation, God says, it is time. And it will be done. And even in those midst, there are still times that people like Joash are saved and preserved, despite the acts of wicked people. And what God is showing here over and over and over again is, He is just. His timing may not always be what we want it to be, but it will always happen. It will always happen. And that's what we need to be reminded of. We need to be reminded that, yes, we would like things to move a little bit faster. And yes, we don't like suffering under this, but God will always, always. And whatever you feel now, you can look at these stories and say, his reputation is good. His reputation. Because that's all we have in those moments. Because when things don't make sense to us right now in our lives, all we have is the reputation of God. Because it's easy to read this with the prophets and narrators saying, see, this is God, this is God, this is God. It's like... Well, that's all great. But when I watch the news, it's not like there's a prophet narrating it saying, this is God right now. That's God. I don't know. All I have is prayer. And just like Habakkuk, who prays out to God and says, why? And God's like, he doesn't really answer Habakkuk's question. Sometimes ours doesn't it can't answer. answered. But what this Bible does is set up a long, repetitive reputation of God. And just like these people were probably like, what's going on, God? But now everything has been compressed and just bam, 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 bam. Story after story after story after story. That when we're in the midst of it all, we can say, it doesn't make sense to me right now, just like it probably didn't make sense to Jehoiada and Jehoashiba as they're running away with the life of Joash. But I know when things will end up well and just like it did for them. Because God's reputation is good and long drawn out. And a lot of this Bible is just establishing the good reputation of God. The good reputation of God. That he's worthy of trusting and depending on.